All right, folks, this is um, module class um, uh, Christian Living Series Separated from the World. If that's not the class that you wanted to be in tonight, you may want to leave now. If uh, it is, then welcome. Glad everybody's here. I kind of feel like a stranger myself. I've been gone so much uh, on Wednesday nights with Easton, but I'm glad to be here. My wife is um, cheating. I don't think she's registered for this class, So, but she liked the teacher, so she's here tonight. Good to see everybody. Um, Why don't we start with prayer? I'm going to attempt, this is, and I'm just going to be real honest with you. I'm going to try something different tonight. And that is more of a discussion-based class. I'm not real good at that because I like to talk. So um, we'll see how well it goes. If you get halfway through and you're like, he's just talking, just realize it was a fail, okay? But um, hopefully we can get some... um, Hopefully we can get some uh, discussion going here tonight. But let's start with prayer and ask the Lord to help us, all right? Lord, we thank you for this evening. I thank you for this... Folks that have gathered here today, we pray, Lord, that our minds and our hearts to be open to your word. Help us, Lord, to rightly divide it together. And, Lord, we're thankful for what your word is going to do for us in advance. We thank you, Lord, for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bibles tonight, let's uh, start just by way of introduction in Genesis. Believe it or not, we're going to start talking about what it means to be separate from the world. Clear from the beginning, because there is a uh, beautiful welcome. Man, glad you're here. Sorry. No, for what? <laughs> for what? I was lost. Oh, but now you're found. See how the Lord has blessed you? Okay, so we're in Genesis chapter 12. Um And one of the very first stories, and a very significant story that you read in the Old Testament, actually is is a beautiful pattern for the Christian life. And that's really what this is about. This is all about Christian lifestyle, okay? So uh, you you can't find a better picture of that than in the life of, of, of Abraham, you know, now we know this from New Testament perspective, looking back, he's the father of the faithful, right? He's called that. He's called the friend of God. Uh, he's the father of faith. You know, so um, we, we preach, we teach, we look a lot to Abraham. But Abraham actually, he, he walked a journey of a type and shadow of holiness. So I want to I show that to you. And see how God kind of stamped this already into the blueprint of his word at a very early time. Holiness is not uh, just a New Testament concept. You can find it all throughout the Old Testament. And here's it's in the book of the beginnings here. So uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, his name wasn't Abraham yet, hadn't been changed. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make thee a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, we've got a 2020 vision of that right now, right? We can look back and we can see how that is completely true you know, we have, we have spiritual children. Abraham's got spiritual children all over the planet, uh, uh, both Middle East. We are grafted in the vine. So we've got the, the luxury of hindsight to show us that. Um, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was seven, 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan into, and into the land of Canaan they came. So God calls a man 
to leave his old life and embrace something better. And therein lies, really, the summary of sanctifying oneself, or what we call the, the, the theological term is sanctification, or, or pursuing holiness as a child of God. It is, just like Abraham did, leaving that old life and uh, for a promise that is yet to come. You know, journeying toward the promise that is yet to come. Trying to embrace something better. Not just eternity, although we're going to find out that holiness leads to eternity. Okay, It's an eternal concept. It's not just a for now. It's an eternal concept. But it also is, is a, a better life. Righteousness exalts. I mean, even nationally, the Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation. It lifts up. Righteousness always lifts up. Holiness, God, following, pursuing God always will lift you up. Um, so, but Abraham first had to take the bold step of leaving where he was and start walking toward where God was calling him to go. Right? God said, I, I want you to go. I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. You know, he'd built quite a life there, right? Quite a life in Ur of the Chaldees is what the Bible said he was, where he was. He said, I want you to leave there. He packs up his whole family, everything that's familiar, and he journeys for a place that God is described, pointed out, and somewhat located, but really a bunch of unknown about it, not really knowing everything there was. Now, does that sound familiar? I mean, we're on this journey as Christians, and God says, I want you to leave. I mean, think of it from terms of... In terms of, you, you become a believer, okay? And you, you repent of your sins, you're baptized in Jesus' name, and you have the euphoria, the, the wonderful feeling, the life, the life change, you know, the, uh, you feel the Spirit, there's, there's that moment. Everybody, everybody, everybody remember when the Holy Ghost came? Awesome, right? But, but then there is this drawing away. The, the thing is, you built a life before that. And there were norms in that life. There was culture in that life. There were decisions in that life. There was a way of living. But then as you come to know Christ, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, as you come to know Christ, all of a sudden, what God says is living comes in conflict with what we call our old lives, or a lot of times we'll use the term the world. Okay? And so we are much like Abraham. The journey of salvation. And salvation, by the way, you are all being saved. You're not saved yet. Okay? We're all being saved. This is a process. This is a journey. Now, I'm not talking about eternal life. I'm not talking about that. We've responded. We've obeyed the gospel. Right? We've been baptized. We've repented of our sins. Baptized in Jesus' name. Filled with the Holy Ghost. All right? We've come into relationship with Him. And I'm talking about that. But the, the concept of saving is a lifelong concept. All right? And holiness or sanctification is part of that. Right? If you can say, well, I got the Holy Ghost, I'm set. No, you've just actually begun your journey. And, and the pursuit of holiness in your life is just as eternal as it was for you to come to understanding, I must repent. And I, I need to be baptized. And I need to be baptized in a very specific way in the name of Jesus. And uh, I need this gift that's been promised to me. Okay? Just as eternal as those things were, holiness is eternal like that too. So we're kind of like Abraham. Has anybody, maybe, I don't know how recently, has anybody ever been put in a situation where you just did not fit in? Right? Maybe it was a class or, or amongst friends or whatever. I think back to school. Uh, I was a weird kid. I just, it's a, I just was. I was weird. For one thing, I was apostolic. So that kind of set me apart. But I was even just, I, I mean, I like to sing. I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't admit all these things. But, you know, I was in choir. I was different. I was different. I wasn't, you know, a sissy by any means or anything like that. But I was a different kid. I, I remember those times. I remember, it's, it's hard it's, I don't know what it is. What is it about 
human beings that when you don't fit in, it just like drives you crazy. I mean, there's, it's like there's no more lonely feeling. There's no more unfulfilled you know, place to be than to know I'm not like everybody else. That becomes difficult for believers because my opinion, and I believe the word teaches us, that if we do this right, if we do this right, the more we follow after Christ and look around us, the more we realize this does not fit in with this world around me. And, and it becomes very difficult in, in the process of, 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 of pursuing God's holiness and righteousness in our life. Because, again, we're kind of like Abraham. Everything that was familiar. I got my family, and these are people that I've trusted. These are people that, you know, took care of me. They raised me. They changed my diaper for crying out loud, right? But then when you come to know the Lord, sometimes it's like, uh, okay, those you know, values at home aren't necessarily values that I've embraced. Values of people that I've trusted are not necessarily, and that's that's hard. Anybody? Am I right? That's difficult. So, and and even with a family that maybe, you know, maybe they were raised just like you, but then they get their old, uh, you know, they get to they come of age where they can make their own decisions, and they decide to go do different things, and maybe even what they were taught along with you. Okay. You may have family like that, uh, friends like that, associations like that. It's difficult not to fit in. But Abraham decided, I'm going to leave everything that's, that's, that's familiar to me, and I'm going to go towards what God has asked me to go. What do you think motivated him? What motivates a man to leave everything that he knows familiar and pick up his family and go move to a land he knows nothing about? What do you think motivated Abraham? Sorry? Faith. Faith. Absolutely. That's a good answer. Faith. Fear. What's that? Fear. Fear. Yeah. <laughs> you got voices talking to me all of a sudden. Whoa. I better listen, right? What else? What else would motivate someone to do? I mean, just take, get out of your Bible mind for a second. And what would motivate someone to pick up their whole family and just move somewhere they don't even know? What? What? Opportunities, I like that. They didn't like where they were at. They didn't like where they're at. I'm not sure that was true about Abraham, but yes. What else? Any other ideas? When I think about this, and some of you hit on, most of you hit on this, is there had to be something within Abraham that that said this voice I'm hearing. This promise that I'm receiving, he had to have given it credibility somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, what was that? To me, no one makes decisions, or very few people. Some people are just stupid. <laughs> but for the most part, people don't make decisions unless, good or bad, there's something inside of them that's convinced that if I go this way, it'll be better than where I came from. Would you agree with that? Now, I'm not saying they're always right, but for the most part, no one makes a decision. Nobody says, this is the wrong way. This is horrible. This is going to end in destruction. I think I'll choose this way. Nobody does that, right? At least not sane people. Most people, good or bad, make a good decision. Bad. They may be ill-informed. Ill-informed. They may have lack of reasoning. They may not have thought it all the way through. But in the end, they make decisions to go forward because they think it's better. Abraham went forward because, and this is why he's called the father of faith, because there was faith in him that said what, what God, and this is what's so remarkable about Abraham. We've got all this context. When I say God to you, there's tons of context around that. Most everybody in North America grew up with the concept of God. Okay. Abraham's got a voice speaking to him. That's why Abraham's faith is way up here in comparison to everybody else because God speaks to him one time with no context, no history and says, obey me. And the Bible says, and Abraham did what the Lord commanded him to do. He had faith. Who said faith? Was it you, Kimberly? He had faith in where God was taking him. When it comes 
to holiness in your life, especially with the difficult task of separating yourself from the world and the culture and even the old world and culture that you lived in before you came to know the Lord. Okay? When it comes to that, that faith, embracing that what God says is ahead, His righteousness, His holiness, His way of living, embracing the fact that that is better than where I'm at or what's behind me is really the best and, in my opinion, the only motivating force for holiness. Okay? Because if God's not taking us somewhere, i got to tell you, it's easier to fit in. Isn't it? Sure it is. Is it more comfortable? Yeah. Yeah, it's way more comfortable. I mean, why go to all the trouble if it's not better? But faith tells us that this is better. Okay? All right. So... As you look at your fill-ins today, let's talk about the holiness of God. Let's kind of define that a little bit. God is holy. Now, people, it's, it's, defining holiness is a little tricky because there's really only, there's one answer to it. Holiness is God. You, you know, definitions try to take concepts, ideas, or words, or values that we're familiar with and describe something. Okay? I'm going to use words that you understand to describe something so I can define something by concepts you understand. You can't hardly do that with the word holy because if, you, if we were to just look it up in the... I mean, Webster's got their own ideas, but really, it's, it's God himself. It's his essence. It's absolute... The best words I think I've come across are holiness is God's absolute moral purity. If you want to write that down, scratch that down. That's a working definition. Again, that's trying to use concepts we understand. But really, holy, holy is God. It's His essence. It describes he, who He is, His character, His personal, His absolute moral pureness. Okay? So when we're talking about holiness, we're talking about God's absolute purity. And the reason why I say He's hard to define is because there is He is uniquely Different than anything else. You can't compare God to anything. So to pursue being Christ-like means recognizing that He is holy, unlike anything else, separated unlike anything else, and consequently committing ourselves to a life of separation to or unto His holiness. All right? Um, Isaiah 14, 25 The prophet said, To whom then will you liken me, or who shall I be equal? Jeremiah says, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Jeremiah 10 and 6. If you look back at the Old Testament, he was so unique. A lot of the the, uh, Ten Commandments are wrapped up in his holiness. He said, You know what? I'm so holy that... That I don't even want you to try to make. A, there's no likeness in the earth, light that 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 can describe me, and so I don't even want you to try to make an image that looks like me. Okay, my name is so holy that there there is restriction on you even letting it come out of your mouth. Right? I'm so holy. I want you to take a day out of your life and dedicate it to me in my holiness. So, so God's holiness has been wrapped in His law even from the very beginning. Um, let's look at Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. Ashley, you look like a good reader. You look like a good reader. If you, is it going to be okay on your phone there? Yes. Why don't you look that up for us? Uh, Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. Just read those two scriptures for us. Okay, so which part of the congregation of Israel was commanded to be holy? What was that? For the sake of the folks at home here, all, right? It wasn't some, it wasn't devoted, the folks that just show up to all the services. It, it, all the congregation. So anyone who seeks and pursues after God, the expectation, at least in the Old Testament, and I believe in the New Testament also, was that they all be holy and for what reason? 
because he is. God said, I want you to be like me. And the only reason I'm asking you of this is because I am. All right? So why were they commanded? Because he was. He was holy. And and I've, I've kind of let the cat out of the bag here. Why do you think holiness is a key attribute of God? Think about, I've already kind of argued this a little bit. Why is that a key attribute? I don't even like that phrase, but it's a question here. Why is holiness a key attribute of God? Is it because it is God? It's Him, right? Why is it key? Because it's Him. It is the totality of His essence. All right? So, God is holy. We, we've kind of defined the best that we can. It, it, uh, he is uh, set apart, unlike anything else, absolute moral purity, the measuring stick. Okay, he's holy. And we've also we've also delved in and dovetailed a little bit in to we are to be holy because of his holiness. He wants us to let's talk about reflect his holiness. Okay? Now, what does it mean, do you think, to reflect God's holiness? If someone said you know, if, if, you, if you just made the statement to somebody and say, you know, I'm trying to be holy. I'm seeking holiness in my life. And someone said, well, how? How? What, mean, like, what does that mean? How are you seeking? Well, what does that mean? What do you think? What, what would you say? Have as many of his attributes as you can. Okay. Have as many as, of his attributes as you can. Or his essence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else? Anything else? Any other words you might try to describe? Nate, how about you? Put you on the spot. I was actually thinking that his answer just basically kind of summed it all up. I mean, that was, that's almost like a perfect answer. Like all the attributes, being kind, being patient, being loving. And I mean, having all his attributes, that's about spot on. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else have any... Other ways of saying that or any... How about practically? What if I say, okay, having his... Practically, what, how would I map that? Having his attributes. Practically, what does this look like in your life, though? What's a, and what if somebody got really specific and say, tell me one way that you're trying to reflect God's holiness. And you had to say, what, what's that? Loving everyone, having love. Having love for, for everyone around you. Okay? Because God is... Love. Right? Yeah. Good answer. What else? You may have. What else? You may have other answers you might give. I'm really trying to make this a interactive class. <laughs> I'm trying. I've got all kinds of answers, but I'm trying. Living. Living. Okay. So living how? Um, living. Just breathing. So looking in his word and figuring out what he says about something and doing that. Kyle, I see I see a I see something forming. It's coming. Okay, that's absolutely key attribute, right? Humbling yourself, serving others in front of it. I'll tell you some things I wrote down and see if, if you agree. And it, it's right along all these lines. When I think of being, you know, trying to be holy, these words come to mind. Thinking like God thinks or learning to. Learning to think like God thinks about situations. Well, get specific. Thinking like God thinks about politics. Thinking like God thinks about moral issues, about abortion. Thinking like God thinks about my own personal appearance. Thinking like God thinks about my behavior with other people. Thinking like God thinks about how I'm 
you know, uh, involved in my relationships. Okay? Uh, when I think of holiness, I think of this phrase too, loving what God loves. To me, holiness is learning to love what God loves. And equally, and this is a little harder, learning to hate what God hates. Do you know God hates some things? You can go through your, go through your Bible and look. And when you see phrases like, it is an abomination unto me, substitute the words, God detests this. Loving what God loves, hating what God hates, acting like he would act. Okay? And those brass tacks, rubber meets the road types of, of situations and issues in your life. And we can all sit here in this room tonight and shake our heads. Yep, yep, that's right, that's right. But holiness is rarely acted out in a classroom. It's rarely put to the test or, or exercised. On, on, this sounds funny, but honestly, in a church where it really matters is in the day-to-day life. When you wake up in the morning and you're not in I grow, you're not you know, in Sunday morning service or anything like that. It's just you. And it's you and you're living in God. In practical terms, holiness is about two concepts that actually work together. Number one, separation from sin and worldliness. Okay? And I want to talk to for a second about what, what I mean by that. And then two, equally as important and hooked to that, is dedication to God and His will. Because reflecting holiness and, you know, kind of going back to your fill-ins here, it means being made free from sin. When we're free from sin, we have, the Bible tells us we have fruit unto holiness. Okay? We have fruit unto holiness. In other words, righteousness and holiness are born of a purpose. There's a reason. We don't seek holiness for its own merit. So we can say, oh, look at Chantel. She is holy, right? Actually holding that precious little baby. She's just holy over there. Holiness emulating out of her. No, it's not for the, the merit of holiness itself by its own merits. But we, we, we seek holiness because the Bible tells us it will bring forth fruit. What's another word for fruit? You've probably heard me say What's, what's it mean when the Bible said fruit in your life? What's it getting at? Blessing. Yeah. There's a better word. It, it can be blessing. It, it, a tree produces fruit, right? It's a result. For instance, people use the phrase, think of the phrase, the fruit of their labor. What is that? The end result, right, of their labor. So when you read that, that word fruit in the New Testament, what it's saying is, Something that's grown out of you, in you, by the Spirit, a result, a spiritual result in your life. All right? So, so the purpose for holiness is to bring spiritual results in our life, to bring us closer to Christ. Let me see. Uh, Kyle, you look like a good reader. Let's uh, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 20. Romans chapter 6, verse 20 through 23. See, I make you read so I can drink coffee. All right. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end of everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, mm-hmm. but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so what is verse 20? Look at verse 20 real quick. If you got your Bibles out, look at verse 20. According to what Kyle just read us, what are servants of sin? Now this is kind of a weird concept. What are servants of sin free from? What are they free from? Righteousness, right? Now you have to worry about it. They're free from that because they're servants of sin. Because sin is something that you serve. Okay? So, what is required before we can be assured of eternal life? According to those scriptures you just read, Kyle. You don't have to answer it, but according to... What is required? Look at verse 22. Before we can be assured of eternal life. 
No, not death. We have to become servants of God. We do, but let's read read verse twenty two again. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end of everlasting life. Okay, so the end of what is everlasting life? According to that scripture. The end of holiness. You have the holiness of which in give me the let me let me get the exact words here. Romans six. Six and twenty-two. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So does everybody see the progression there? That holiness leads to everlasting life. You say, well, I'm not, you know, is that really what that's saying? Well, let me just say this. The scripture tells us, let me see, where is that at? I had that scribbled down here. Um, um, There, Hebrews 12 and 14. Tells us to follow peace with all men, comma, in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So this is getting back to that point I stated at the beginning of this, that yes, we've obeyed the gospel, but just as eternal as obeying the gospel is, that is allowing that work of the Holy Spirit to bring fruit. And what is the fruit? It is holiness unto eternal life. This is part of the process is where I'm trying to get at. Okay? So reflecting His holiness is not a, hey, Nate, it'll be better. It'll be better if you, you know, if you'll live holy. You'll be a happier man. And all that's true. Please don't get me wrong. But understand this is eternal. And people that try to scrap and say, ah, you know, just, you know, I yeah, I, I was baptized, I'm ready. Or I received the Holy Ghost, I'm ready. But they've never allowed God to work in their life past that. I don't want to show up on judgment day with that attitude or approach. Okay, you can't tell me that God, you know, Jesus, you know, robed himself in flesh, went to the cross, died for you so you could go through these three little, you know, two little almost ritual looking things and then be filled with the spirit and then just stop there. That that's all there was. No, it was for a purpose that there is we, we call it the new birth for a reason. And Jesus stated this. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's a new nature on the inside of us that's born when the gift of the Holy Spirit comes in. And if we don't allow that new nature to begin to govern our lives, I'm fully convinced that we could end up on Judgment Day in a really bad spot. Repent it or not. Baptized in Jesus' name or not. Filled with the Holy Ghost or not. I think people can get the Holy Ghost and, and walk away from God and be lost. How do people do that? They don't allow holiness to develop in their lives. It was an experience. It was this moment. And they never let the continued work of the Holy Spirit grow them. Okay? It's, it's eternal. All right. Um, so let's look at the third point here. And so that puts us in this place that if we are this person that is, um, for this person that is, you know, trying to pursue holiness, remember, we're kind of like Abraham. We end up being in a world in which we do not fit anymore. In other words, we're at, we become at odds with the world around us. Now, this is a little bit of a sticky subject. At least it is in my mind. Because I get a little confused when Jesus, you know, says, go ye into all the world. And he says, for God so loved the world. But then we get over the New Testament and we're told, love not the world. And I'm like, okay, now wait a minute. Are we going to the world? Do we love it? Do we not love it? And it all is in how this word is used. Okay. And, and, and let me just try to simply deal with that with just a phrase. We are to love the world itself, but not the things of the world. Does that make sense? Okay. 
And, and I'll show you some scriptures that maybe clarify that. We're to love the world. We, obviously, God loved the world. We're all in trouble if he didn't love the world. But when we talk about being separated from the world, we're not talking about being separated from the people or the personalities of the, of the world around us. We're talking about being separated from the norms and the values and the culture of the world around us. Okay? So the things of the world, not the world itself. And there may be people that take, you know, uh, issue, and probably nobody in this room, but maybe somebody could, you know, say that a little uh, more articulate, may articulate that a little bit better, or maybe take uh, issue with some of the way they explain that. But I think Scripture definitely shows us that we're to, we're to separate from the things of the world. That's why Second Corinthians says, Wherefore, come out from among them. So Abraham had to dissolve associations. And yes, there were some relationships that would never be what they used to be because he was no longer an Ur, he was going to Canaan. And I can tell you this, as you seek God, and you, some of you might have already experienced this, that as you have sought God's holiness in your life, it's not so much even that you separate yourself from people, but people have separated themselves from you. Because it's like, okay, no, I don't do that anymore. I don't talk like that anymore. That doesn't seem to reflect the holiness that I'm, you know, and pick your, pick your specific example there. And by nature, it's like, okay, uh, you know, Brad doing terrible things in the recording right now. I'm patting my chest. Brad doesn't fit in with us anymore because, you know, he doesn't mm, tell those jokes anymore. He doesn't watch that stuff anymore. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, associate with those ideals and those philosophies anymore. Why? Because they violate the word of God that he has come to know as truth. And so I'm seeking this and it's rearranged some things in my life. Holiness means, so when he says, uh, come out from them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. You should be my sons and daughters, the Lord Almighty. This this is God's holiness. It's separation from the things and the culture of the world unto his holiness. It's Abraham moving out of what used to be familiar and embracing in faith that what God has called us to is better. Holiness means we cannot love this ungodly world system. Holiness means we cannot identify with this ungodly world world's system. It means we cannot become attached to the things of this world's system. And it means a lot of times we just simply cannot participate in its sinful pleasures and activities. I'll give you a recent, um, a recent really good application just because it's really fresh in everybody's mind. This is why I got up in front of the church and I said, look, we're not going to endorse anybody for president or, or, or mayor or senator or house. We're not doing it. But here's what I'm going to tell you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you are mandated by the Bible. It would seem to me that you must vote those values that are in Scripture and where people, philosophies, platforms do not line up with that. You must deviate. Well, to what end? You know, well, that's where it becomes a personal and what we call uh, Christian liberty, how we apply that to what extent. But in general, you know, I have got to vote my values. And that's just one place to, uh, to apply that. Okay. And it's fresh in our minds. But you may be uh, on your, at your job. I'll give you, for instance, I've always been taught, I believe the Bible teaches that it is not wise to gamble, that the resources that God places within your hands are for his purpose, his glory. They're to take care of your family, take care of the church, take care of the kingdom of God. Tenth of it is the tithe that belongs to the Lord. It's holy, and I dare not touch that. And then I give offerings because he's been so good to me. But then the other whatever, 90, 80, whatever, and 90%, God says I'm to manage as a wise steward. I look at gambling as being very unwise. All right, been taught that all my life. So I get to a job where everybody says, "Hey, you in the Powerball? Powerball's at twenty million. 
Okay? Everybody's getting tickets. Just it's it's a dollar. It's a dollar. I I suffered such ridicule. Suffered's a strong word. But I I was I was made fun of, put it that way. Because I said, no, I I don't gamble. Oh, this isn't a gamble. It's just the Powerball. But to me, personally, it was a value. It was a value that I had. I'm like, that's not being a wise steward of of my money. Now, you could argue and say, well, what about other things you're doing with money? Amen. Got to look at that stuff, too. Okay? So I'm just trying to give you a a, a real-life scenario. Can anybody think of other things? Excuse me. From your job home, your neighborhood that's like, you know what, I really can't do that, won't do that because I just feel like that that, that uh, puts, I'm at odds with the world on that issue. Anybody? And again, this is personal, so I'm not asking everybody to be held at what, to what you say, but you might think of anything where recently it's like, you know, I had to, I had to make a stand. What? I did, what? Language? Language? Yep, I just say, mm-mm. You know, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You get the same looks like you're talking about. And like, why? You, you used to say, you know, you get the hypocrisy aspect of it. And, you know, you have to draw that, draw that hard line. Yeah, in my workplace, um, the name of the Lord is not taken in vain too often. But you'd be surprised. <laughs> but uh, I remember when I was working, uh, it really bothered me. I mean, I better not say that. A lot of cuss words don't bother me. I went to my barber today. I don't want to say that either. Okay. Um, a lot of cuss words honestly don't bother me because honestly, I think of them, I'm like, somebody just made that word up. And in other cultures, it may not even be a word that's offensive, crude, or vulgar. But what really gets me, so th- those, I, I could care less. I don't say them. I don't want, okay, let's just be clear. I don't say them. <laughs> My wife cusses a little, but I don't. <laughs> She's got a shirt that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. No, she does. she does have that shirt, but she doesn't cuss. Anyway, so, um, but it really bothered me when people would take the name of the Lord in vain. To the point, I mean, it hurt my heart, but it also, I, I felt an obligation to stand up for that holy name. And, you know, I tried several different ways. At first, I would really try to, you know, come down. You really, you know, that's the name of the Lord. And, and that was never well received. So here's what I finally landed on. People would say, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, are you praying? I'll pray with you. Let me pray. You must be praying. And they look at me so funny. I said, well, you said Jesus Christ. I got I'm assuming you were just praying. And it was a lighthearted way, and it threw people it threw people off for a second. But nobody ever got mad at me about that again. And I felt I felt so much better standing up for my Lord. Amen. So, you weren't around. It's okay. It was just me. Anyway, okay, we're getting off the subject. I'm telling stories at this point. Okay, so we're at odds with the world. Being holy puts us in conflict with an unholy world. Puts us in conflict. With an unholy world. Society around us rejects him further and further. And folks, we're going to see this. You know, I don't know. You probably, some of you may have heard me do my little analysis. I wish I had a board here. This world is not getting better. It's getting worse. The culture is not getting better. It's getting worse. It's not getting more holy. It's getting, I don't care who becomes president. They're not going to make things better. Okay. The culture, I'm talking about the culture of this world. Things that were done in secret years ago are out in the open. In fact, they're so open. Homosexuality, I'll take that for instance, used to be just closed up. And, you know, it was a shameful thing, even to those that practiced it. Now, it has flipped so badly that the fact that I'm even saying this on a podcast would probably make someone very nervous that I would actually call out homosexuality as a sin because it is now you're you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a home, you know, you're you're against them, you're full of hate. No, I don't hate people. I just say behavior is wrong. Just like I think taking the Lord's name in vain is wrong. Doesn't mean I hate you. You know, it means that I don't agree with your behavior. That behavior, I'm at odds with that. Okay? So, so we are at odds with the world. And as this world gets worse and worse, 
the idea is, let me ask you this, is, is our personal holiness, is it supposed to be stay the same or should it be getting better? What's everybody think? Josh says better. Better. Should we be getting closer to Jesus or further away? Or just stay the same? Closer, right? So, if you can kind of look at a graph of me, we got the world that's going on a downhill slant. They're going to end up in a lake of fire, right? The church is supposedly, hopefully, getting closer to Christ and eventually going to be raptured and go to heaven, right? As far as I can tell spiritually, nobody would disagree. There's a huge gap between heaven and hell. And the closer we're getting to heaven, the more the world's getting closer to hell. There should be an ever-widening gap. It's not that I become you know, closer and fit in better with the world around me. It should be perfectly normal to me, or at least we should be able to embrace the fact that I am not going to fit in better to this world around me. It's going to be, I'm going to be more and more and more at odds with the world culture around me as the days go on. Okay? So we're at odds with the world. So let's look at 1 Peter 2 and 11. Let me just get that real quick. Let's somebody, whoever gets it first gets to read it. Go. It's a sword drill. Go. And I got sticking pages. Who's going to get it? Uh, the app people are going to get it. 1 Peter 2 and 11. Who's got it? Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against the very soul. I had that. Okay. And what translation is that? That's okay. I like it. I'm not sure you're going to heaven, Brother Josh. No, no, that's the the King James uses the word strangers, which is not how we use the word. That actually is a better. What's the word they use there? Uh, Temporary residents. Temporary Okay. So what are we in this world? What that's that's that should be our perception. What are we in this world? We are temporary residents. King James says we are strangers. And pilgrims, okay. It's it's we're it's almost it gives you the idea of a nomad. We're like we're nomadic. We we don't have we don't have permanent. Now you say, well, you've got a house and you've got a car. You seem pretty settled, Pastor. We're not talking about physical things. We're talking about our attitudes and our mindsets toward this world. That's why I say you cannot become attached to the things of this world. You know, you, you look at. And I, I don't mean to be doomsday or anything, but I think it's entirely possible that during my life that the church could suffer major persecution in North America to the point where, you know, we don't, uh, you know, we, some of this stuff going on with some of this COVID stuff is, is I think they could, you know, try to shut some things down. And I think we may have to take some stands and say, no, we're going we're gonna to worship. I don't know that. But I'm, I'm as a pastor, I'm concerned, and and uh, so that's something that's right here upon us. But I don't think it's crazy for him to believe that in my lifetime, definitely, if the Lord tarries in my children's lifetime, my grandchildren's lifetime, that the, that the North American Church would suffer persecution. Why? Because I look at even just what's happened in 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 the political landscape. This nation is very close to forfeiting its title as a God-fearing, under one nation, under God, Christian culture. Okay? Now, that doesn't make me scared because everything we read in the New Testament was in a culture that was absolutely persecuted them. You know, there were no freedoms. You know, so I'm not scared of what... In fact, I think the church will flourish. I think we'll, you know, get rid of a lot of our distractions and... We'll get rid of, you know, won't be so important trying to make our dollar and everything. You know, it'll be a different thing if, if, if that comes about in our lifetime. But we must adopt that approach of not allowing this world to get a hold of us and, and be separate from it. We're at odds with it. So Peter said that Christians in this world were strangers, were pilgrims. That's our approach. We're just passing through. All right. 
So what will Gentiles or unbelievers in the context of this verse is really what he's saying. What will Gentiles say about Christians? Verse 12. What's verse 12 say? Having your conversation honest, begging you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation Okay, that, that word really just means your behavior. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles for the context of this scripture is really talking about the world. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Since you have a New Living Translation, that's a little wordy. Read that, Brother Josh, verse 12 again. It says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. And they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Okay? So, so how should we respond when people speak evil of us, according to verse 12? Honorably. Honorably. Okay? Honorably. That's a good word there. Can anybody think, just paraphrasing this question here, can anybody think of a way in your life, just to kind of share with the group, <clears throat> where your beliefs and lifestyles as a Christian conflicts with the society at large around you? Anybody share something? Josh mentioned, you know, language, things like that, but... Your beliefs as a lifestyle Christian, how does that conflict with the society at large, and, and why do you think that is? I've kind of already answered this a little bit. Anybody? No? Did I just cover it really well? All right. Well, I want you to think about that. I want you to, and that might even be a prayer point. How, how does my behavior need to be amongst, what does the world see? What does the world say? Do they see a difference? You know, I've, I've preached messages before and say, if you look like everybody else, act like everybody else, think like everybody else, are you sure you're in the church? Are you sure? Because we're supposed to be different. So let's talk about that identity a little bit. We have been set. This is, I think, do you have a number four? We have been set apart for God's purpose and given a new identity. Okay, so the first fill in there is we've been set apart for God's purpose and given a new identity. Second fill in. And then God calls us, and this is the word I want to talk about before we close here tonight. God has called us to be saints. Saints, and not the New Orleans. Called us to be saints. I learned something recently. Um, I've heard that word all my life. You know, um, it's used loosely. People use it in church. Um, it, it's it's been used in greetings. Hey, you know, when they, you know, people get up in front of the church. Praise the Lord, saints. You ever heard that? Um, and I learned what that word actually means. And I, I, I guess I just never knew this. When you think of the word saint, what do you think of? Just in general. I want to take your Bible hat off for a second. When, when someone, anyone, uses the word saint, what do you think of? Halo. A really good person, right? Someone, you know, that, that other people could look up to a pattern, right? Okay. Which are all right and good. But do you know what the word, the, the word saint in the New Testament comes from the Greek word hagios. H-A-G-I-O-S. And it appears most frequently, I, I think, throughout the New, the, the New Testament. And the, in general, it means this. It means most holy thing. 
That kind of gives it a different definition, doesn't it? The word saint means most holy thing. So when you read your New Testament and Paul says, to the saints that be at Ephesus, the saints in Rome, he was literally saying to the most holy things which be. So the New Testament concept was that we have an identity of being holy. So when Peter would write, as it is written, be holy for I am holy, he was saying, hey, guys, this isn't a commandment that I'm trying to give you. This is a reminder of what and who you should be. And that puts it a little bit different light, right? That's, that's not just Peter saying, hey, you need to be holy. You need, he's saying, hey, this is who we are. You're a most holy thing. And you've got to be that way because you serve a most holy God. So to be a saint is to be separate. It's to be sacred. It's to be set apart for God's holy purpose. Okay? So so that's got to be the mindset that this is who I am. I think a lot of people, when they think of holiness, that it's 8 o'clock and I'm done. A lot of people think of holiness, their minds automatically go to things they need to do. Okay? What? Or not do is probably a better. Things I can't do. Holiness is about things I can't do. Things I got to stay away from. Things that are on the naughty list. And what they don't realize is that's not at all what it is. Now, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there is this issue of separation. But their mind is all wrong. Peter was not trying to say, tell them just, hey, there's some things you should not be doing. And he certainly did call things out. Okay? But what he was really trying to say, the message was, that is not who you are. You're a saint. You're a most holy thing. And that changes how you think and what you associate with and the things that you embrace. Don't love the world. You're a saint. Don't love the things of the world. All that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. he's, He's pulling his hair out. He's saying, you're saints. Don't don't do that. He wasn't trying to focus on and saying, okay, here's the stuff you shouldn't do. He was trying to say, this is who you are. Okay? Everybody say saints. Saints. Let me um, read you. This was, uh, and I don't remember where I got this, to be honest with you. I, um, and, and quite frankly, this was in a, another, is either another lesson or a message, I'm not sure. But I, I either heard this in a sermon or read it in a sermon. There was another preacher who was preaching, and this is how he ended his sermon. I want you to listen to this. He said, and he's talking to his congregation here, he says, I do not ask whether you attend service every week, or if you have been baptized or received the Spirit, or if you have the name of Christian today. I ask something more and deeper than those questions. And here it is. Are you holy or are you not? Are you holy this very day, or are you not? And why do I ask you such a pointed question and press it so strongly? I ask because the scripture says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Do you feel the importance of holiness as much as you should? Don't tell me of your justification. Think repentance, baptism, Fill out the Holy Ghost. Unless you can show me the marks of some sanctification, the pursuit of holiness in your life. Don't boast of Christ's work for you unless you show us His Spirit's work in you. I want to be holy because the Lord who saved me is holy. And He has set me apart as a most holy thing. Pull that close just for a second, would you please? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word today, God. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds, God, would have the the right attitude and the right approach 
to holiness. Lord, so many things can become frustrating. They can become heavy. They can become look impossible, God. And they can even become bitter, Lord, when we don't understand where holiness truly comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit that you have placed in our lives. And God, it works in us. It sets us apart. And it reminds us who we are. God, we are a most holy thing that has been set apart for your work and your goodness. Help us to understand that, Lord. And we're going to give you praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being, according to this, I only went 27, 28, 29, 30 seconds over.